I'm going to start today by going to an illustration that I've used at least a couple of times in recent years. St. Paul's Cathedral in London. You know, uh, one of the things we do in our house is when we're watching a TV show, Elizabeth, I think, kind of started that. She'll say, I've been there. <laughs> and she's been to St. Paul's in London. I, I haven't. But it's a good illustration. I have pictures today in, in the bulletin in your insert this morning. There's two pictures of St. Saint, Saint Paul's. And uh, one's of the exterior, and the other is the Whispering Gallery. St. Paul's Cathedral is one of the greatest buildings of the world, and that's no exaggeration. It took a decade to design, 10 years on the boards, as we'd say in architecture, and nearly 40 years to build. And the architect was Sir Christopher Wren, and he lived to see the 50-year project completed in his lifetime. What happened was, in the early 1660s, Wren had designed a handful of buildings in Oxford and Cambridge, but in the aftermath of the Great Fire of London in 1666, 1666, most of London was, was burned. Uh, Wren was still in his 30s, and the St. Paul's, the old St. Paul's Cathedral was burned, and he was entrusted at a very young age of rebuilding St. Paul's Cathedral. And St. Paul's was the greatest building project of the age and one of the greatest architectural feats of all time. Even now, I still watch PBS, and they'll talk about St. Paul's. The engineers haven't totally figured out how they got it done. <laughs> they haven't figured it out. And so what did Wren create after 50 years of design and labor? He created a masterpiece of neoclassical architecture. It stands 365 feet tall. Those of you who play football, you know that's more than a football field high. 36 stories, if we were to put it into what's going on today. It is 40 feet taller than the highest building in Boise. That's just a you know, our state capital is only half the height of St. Paul's in, in London. It has a triple layered dome, which crowns the cathedral, and partway up the dome is the Whispering Gallery, and you can see that in the picture. Uh, the Whispering Gallery. gallery. They, they call it the Whispering Gallery because a whisper breathed against one wall can be heard on the opposite wall 112 feet away. And so our building to that back window is 80 feet. And so they could hear it <laughs> 22 feet past, no, 32 feet past that in there. Uh, nobody knows exactly why that works. It just, you know. But as the story goes... During the construction of this great cathedral, workers were asked by a journalist. A worker was coming along and, and uh, wanted to know how things were going. So he's asking him, well, you know, he asked him, what are you doing here? You know, what's your job? What's, what's the purpose of what you're doing? And the first worker said, I'm cutting stone for three shillings a day. Okay. He asked a second worker, and he said, I'm putting in 10 hours a day on this job. And a third worker was chiseling away on a piece of stone, and when he asked, what are you doing, he stopped, he looked up, and replied, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren build the greatest cathedral of Great Britain, I can't even say that, sorry. Great Britain for the glory of God. I keep wanting to say that in a British accent, so it messes me up. <laughs> All three workers were doing the same job, but the only the third man had that proper vision to make his job meaningful and to put his heart into it. And that's because he was the only man of the three who really truly understood what was going on. 
He understood the overall purpose for what he was doing. And he knew exactly where he was supposed to be, what he was supposed to be doing, and why, so that God might be glorified in what he was doing. So if you turn the handout over, you'll see one a drawing that we've handed out several times because we've talked about each one of the elements on this, except two so far. And you'll look in the upper right-hand corner, and you see the label that should have a red box around it that says living stones, living stones. And you see the scripture passage on, on the left. While describing the Lord Jesus as the precious cornerstone of the building and also as a living stone, the Apostle Peter wrote of all of us as believers in Jesus Christ, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer our spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what we are to be about. This, in a nutshell, is really the function of what we are to do with what's going on as the body of Christ that meets here. You know, we're being built up together as living, as as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, a priesthood as offers up spiritual sacrifices unto God through, through Jesus Christ. And so if you start back at the bottom of the sheet, go down to the bottom, you see Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. We talked about that. He's a precious stone, a choice stone, uh, Peter says. He is the standard as the cornerstone for all the other living stones in the building. We are being shaped into his, his image. And then you see the foundation was laid by the apostles and the prophets. In other words, their ministry was foundational. The apostles and prophets gave us the word of God. We are built on the rock-solid, firm foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the ministry of the evangelists and pastor teachers, and you see that points to the columns, the supports. Uh, that their ministries support all the other ministries in the church as the saints are equipped by them for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So if you're not an evangelist or pastor teacher, and please don't tell me you're an apostle or prophet this morning because theirs was foundational in that regard. But if you're not a pastor or teacher, we haven't talked about your gift yet, right? So how do you know where your place is? How do you know what your particular niche in the building is where according to how God has made you and gifted you and designed you for service where you fit perfectly as a living stone doing exactly what God has called and gifted you to do? What is that place of spiritual giftedness and service where you have that sense of joy, you have that sense of, of fulfillment and usefulness and uh, where the main benefit for how you serve and who you serve is for the entire church, for the building up of the church that Jesus builds for his glory. So please look once again to the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. And we're not going to look at all three chapters, but here Paul is introducing this is just his introduction to three chapters about the spiritual gifts uh, in Scripture. Uh, interestingly enough, chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians is what? The love chapter. That's in the context of our spiritual giftedness in serving one another. So he says in verse 4, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. 
There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, if you like to write in your Bible, and I hope you do, (laughs) I want to point out something that's essential for us to understand. In verse 4, circle the word gifts. There are a variety of gifts. Circle that. And then draw an arrow over to the word spirit. Spirit. The gifts have to do with the Holy Spirit. They are spiritual gifts. And then in verse 5, circle the word ministries, or in your Bible might say service or services. There are varieties of ministries. Circle the word ministries or service, and then draw an arrow over to the Lord. The ministries or varieties of service have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Holy Spirit has to do with spiritual gifts, ministries have to do with the Lord. And then verse 6, there are varieties of effects. Uh, Your Bible might say activities. Varieties of effects, but the circle effects, but the same God. Draw an arrow over to God. The effects have to do with God the Father. This is one of those really neat subjects where we see in Scripture the work of the triune God in our lives. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. The Lord Jesus Christ is at work in our lives. And the Father is at work in our lives in very specific ways. So first of all, Paul says there are varieties of gifts. Varieties of spiritual gifts. And and the word translated varieties there means apportionments, or allotments, or distributions. It is the Holy Spirit distributing His gifts in many forms, in many varieties to believers. He has a multiplicity of gifts which are given as He distributes them to each believer. Now there's four lists of the spiritual gifts in the New Testament, and none of them are the same. There's some overlap. None of them are complete. Altogether, they do not include all the spiritual gifts that we could categorize and name. Uh, Basically, the gifts fall into two general categories. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, verse 11, there are speaking gifts and there are service gifts. That breaks it down pretty well. The speaking gifts are like those of teaching and preaching, exhortation, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, where we're actually speaking or saying something. The service gifts are like the gifts of helps or service, the gift of hospitality and mercy. The varieties of gifts are are astronomical. And your unique and personal giftedness is a combination of one or more gifts. can be all over the chart, as it were, as God takes some of this and some of that and some of the other thing. As unique as you are in your physical body, and your physical traits, you're you totally unique in, in your spiritual traits. And so a believer's gifts can be an overlapping combination of gifts taken in different proportions from the categories of gifts. One person may be strong in a particular gift. And when I think of strong in a gift, I think of the gift of mercy. You go, well, that's kind of a funny one to think of somebody being a strong gift of mercy. Those of you who are have the gift of mercy, you know what I'm talking about. Because everything breaks your heart. <laughs> everything. In one of the churches I served, you know, if a transient came in or, or somebody in need of help came in during the service or right before the service on, on a Sunday morning, 
I tried everything I could do to get a deacon over to talk to that person before this dear woman with the gift of mercy saw them. Because she would give away the whole store of food down in the pantry if, if we let her. You know, sometimes she was there first and those kind of things. And then she'd take them out to McDonald's to boot. You know, make sure that they're, they're well cared for. And she took lots of people to McDonald's after church. So like her, you might be strong in one particular gift. And it may be very focused on that. Or you may have some measure from several different categories of gifts. But your gift, your spiritual gift, is a divine enablement given by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that he does in you and through you what you couldn't otherwise do at all. He does in you and through you what you couldn't do at all. So your spiritual gift is supernaturally given by the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural capacity that equips you to minister to others in a supernatural way. Spiritual gifts are not natural abilities or talents. Sure, God can use your natural abilities. He can use your natural abilities, and he does, but they're not spiritual gifts. At the time that you were saved, when you received the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the Holy Spirit came and live, came to live on the inside of you. And he came with gifts. He was a gift, but he was also brought gifts. And so like natural abilities, you don't choose them. You don't choose the natural talents that you would like to have. You know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an athlete. <laughs> didn't have as much natural ability, you know, for that. There's other things that I've desired. I, di I didn't get to, to choose. And, and I'll talk about it a little bit later, but as I'm learning something of my ancestry and heritage, I'm going, wow, you know, I, I really did get some, some pretty good natural abilities just because of the family I was, was born into. So your natural abilities are in accordance with the family you're born into. Your supernatural abilities, your spiritual gifts are on account of you being born again of the Spirit. And you don't choose those gifts any more than you choose your natural abilities. <clears throat> and so the list of spiritual gifts is not a salad bar where you go to the counter and say, I want some of that and a little of that, and boy, that would be kind of nice. That, that's pretty good. I wish I had that one. It is the Holy Spirit who chooses your giftedness. And it's your responsibility to discover and deploy your giftedness for service for the common good of the body. And then in verse 5, Paul writes, There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. Varieties of ministry or service. The Greek word for service or ministry there is diakonia. Does that sound familiar? We get the word deaconate, deacon and deaconess from it. It literally it just means a servant. One who serves. Uh, a deacon or a deaconess is a servant. And speaking of himself, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, to serve. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, every one of us is a servant. But then Paul, at one point, uses a stronger word than even servant. Paul said that he was a bond servant, a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a bond slave in Paul's day was a man who owed a debt, a substantial debt. It was a debt of some kind that he could not repay. 
He, he just didn't have the means. He didn't have the job. And so when he couldn't repay his debt, he would sell himself and his entire family and everything that he owned to a master. Everything, his family, his household, and everything until such time he could repay the debt. Everything he had, everything he is and was belonged to the master. Now, if a bond slave was able somehow to pay his debt, and I don't think it happened very often, they would take the certificate of debt, all the listing of everything he owed, and if he had paid that off somehow, they would post it in a public place, and the word canceled was written across it for everybody to see. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are bond slaves to Jesus Christ. We owed a sin debt which we could never pay. And the wages of sin is death. But Paul says in Colossians 2.13, When you were dead in your transgressions and the circumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. And then he goes into this beautiful word picture. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. That long list that lists every sin we ever did or ever will do if we're still alive right now. It was hostile to us because it demanded what? Our death. Separation from God for all eternity. It's that, that's how hostile it was to us. And it says he has taken it out of the way having nailed to the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross, your certificate of debt was posted on the cross with him, and the word canceled was written by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. amen. That'll get an amen in this church, even. <laughs> and this is so important to realize as bond servants of Jesus Christ, who paid for our sin on the cross, who bought us off the auction block of sin. As a Christian, you don't belong to you. You belong to Jesus. You don't belong to you. You are now a bond slave to Jesus Christ. Once you were a slave to sin, now you are a slave to Christ. Uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. You don't belong to you, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You are a bond slave of Jesus Christ. We're all bond slaves of Jesus. He is our Lord. He is our master. We serve him in everything that we do. And if we put it in the context of what we're talking about this morning, I'm helping the Lord Jesus Christ, my master, build his church for his glory. So now in the same way that the Holy Spirit chooses your spiritual giftedness, the Lord Jesus Christ as master chooses the area of your ministry. Your ministry, whatever that is, large or small, small group, large group, one-on-one, -on -one, whatever it is, your ministry, your place of service is the sphere or the area in which your spiritual gift is performed. Wherever you are exercising your spiritual gift, that is your sphere of service. And this is the sovereign right of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who assigns the sphere 
or the service or the arena of ministry. Even in Scripture, two very gifted men had completely different spheres of ministry, even though they had the same spiritual gift. They were apostles. The apostle Peter was sent to the circumcised, to the Jews, spent his entire ministry primarily uh, preaching the gospel to the Jews. Paul was sent to the uncircumcised, to the Gentiles. They both had the same gift of apostleship, but their ministry was different as given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so your ministry is the arena or sphere in which you use your spiritual gift. Billy Graham was a gifted evangelist. His sphere of service, his arena, literally was hundreds of large arenas. He proclaimed the gospel and and thousands were saved. My dad was a gifted evangelist, and his arena was the upholstery shop, (laughs) where men and women, well, men, just men would stop by, young men and young and older men would stop by and linger. They'd listen to Dad tell stories, as I said, mostly about football and, and the war. And they would be saved. Different arena, same spiritual gift. The sphere or the arena of your ministry is totally up to the master. As a preacher, it can be an auditorium that seats 900 people with two services. Or it can be a hut in Africa where 30 people are sitting on the floor. And it can be the same type of spiritual gift being exercised. If you have the gift of mercy, your arena can be a single hospital bed. It can be a series of beds. Or it can be the desperate needs in a veteran's hospital. And we ask, you know, why is it that a gifted teacher down the street or or a gifted teacher here might only have two or three persons in their Sunday school class week after week, just a couple of students, and you go down the street and you see somebody who seems less capable, at least to you, and they pack out their room every week. Why? Because the Lord Jesus determines the sphere in which your gift is exercised. One of the most effective arenas in my ministry was a small Sunday school class of five high school boys. And we didn't have a room in the church to meet as a Sunday school class, so we met on the stage in the fellowship hall. (laughs) And uh, five boys... They were all athletic. They were all on a sports team. All they wanted to do was talk about sports and other stuff. And all five were on the honor roll at their school. Talk about a challenge to teach these kind of boys. But they were excited about God's word and what God was doing. And, uh, and so that, that was a very important arena. And you go, well, just five people? That doesn't sound like much of a ministry. When I think of five men... I think of David Roper. Many of you know David Roper. He ministered for 17 years at Peninsula Bible Church with Ray Stedman in the Bay Area before coming to be senior pastor over at Cole Community Church in Boise. And while David was ministering in the Bay Area, he he did campus ministry. And one day he knocked on the door of a campus house and asked the five guys who were living there if they wanted to study the Word with him early every Wednesday morning. These guys didn't know David from anybody. They were basically unchurched students. And the miracle was they said, okay, sure. <laughs> you, know, early, you know, we were talking about men's breakfast yesterday, and I'm going, you used to meet at 6 o'clock in the morning every Saturday? <laughs> yeah. But this was, this was the sphere of ministry. All five of those men went into full-time vocational service. I believe three of them were missionaries and two became pastors or it might have been vice versa. 
And one of the students that he taught, of these five, became the teaching pastor of Peninsula Bible Church after Ray Steadman passed, passed away. And, of course, I got to know David and Carolyn Roper because they did Idaho Mountain Ministries in this area, ministering to the pastors in the outback, they called them. You know, Council, Payette, Emmett, you know, even in Treasure Valley, you know. And that was his arena in a semi-retirement. But as the sovereign right of Jesus Christ to assign the sphere of ministry to each member of his body. The Holy Spirit gives gifts as he wills, while the Lord Jesus Christ determines the sphere of of, of your ministry. And then with this, we come to the key to discovering your niche as a living stone. This is the key. Where do you fit? Where are you supposed to be? What is your place? What is your particular niche in the building that Jesus is building? Let me give it to you in a mathematical formula, and it's in the outline. Your gift plus your sphere of ministry, your gift plus your sphere of ministry is your niche as a living stone. That is your niche as a living stone. Where everyone is serving in the area of their particular giftedness, at the exact place that the Lord Jesus Christ has given for each one to serve and place them, that is where the Lord Jesus builds his church for his glory and we get to be part of the greatest building project in the history of the world and for all eternity. When you exercise your spiritual gift given by the Holy Spirit, whether it's teaching or the gift of mercy or hospitality, in the arena, large or small, that has been selected for you by the Lord Jesus Christ, this is your niche as a living stone in place where Jesus builds his church. Now next Sunday, we're going to start looking at the serving gifts one at a time to help you discover your own spiritual gifts in the sphere the Lord Jesus has given you uh, to serve. But before we, we go to verse 6 and look at the variety of gifts that the same God, I want you to look at another handout. I came across this picture this last week, and I go, this, this is really great. <laughs> these, these Amish men doing a barn raising. You know, they're, they're, and they've been doing this for hundreds of years and building the best barns in the country for hundreds of years. And, you know, and, and they, they're basically farmers, but the quality of their barns is unsurpassed anywhere in the world. And on barn raising day, they come together from all around their particular district the wives bring food for a picnic so they can eat at lunch. And I've heard they eat a lot of chicken when they stop and stop to eat for, for each lunch. And, and I'm going to show a video in a little bit that also shows this in high speed. But it typically, when they have already, the foundation has been laid, just like in the church that Jesus built. The foundation is there, the footing's foundation, the concrete blocks for the lower part of the building and those kind of things. Uh, all the, the lumber, the beams, the joists, they have been pre-cut. And uh, they're, not, they're not, you know, against using prefab trusses these days and those kind of things. They'll still use some of those. But the, the beams and the columns and the rafters, they still use wooden peg mortise and tennis joints uh, on those. They do like nails these days. But the, the bottom line is that they will raise a barn in 10 hours. In 10 hours. 
And you look at this one, you know, this particular one, supposedly there was 150 men working on this. We can only see who's on the roof, and I counted over 50. Some are nailing wood sleepers. Some are lifting up large sheets of, of metal siding. They're just about ready to install the, the, the metal on the, the roof, and they're already putting up some of the metal on the walls. But, uh, you know, these are just not 100 guys who showed up at the site one day and decided, well, what I'm going to do, and you're going to do this, and I'm going to do that, you know, and those kind of things. Each one of these men knew before they got there exactly what they were skilled to been doing. It had been trained from childhood to do. They each one knew exactly what he was going to do, where he was going to be doing it, who he's going to be working with, what his responsibilities were to be. And they all worked together in different places in perfect unity. And you don't see anybody standing around. At first I thought these guys were just sitting there. And then, you know, on the edge of the roof. And then I looked very closely. There's a rope coming down. So these are the guys that are pulling up the metal siding. From down, this is being guided from down below. You know, nobody standing around. Nobody leaning on a shovel. You know, as Jan and I have driven and, and come across road construction over the years, we had a great idea. This was so good, I don't know why we didn't go into this business. We wanted to start a business called Two Guys Watching Temporary Construction Services. We would supply the two guys who would watch <laughs> at a price. We figured we'd make a lot of money at that. You know, but uh, they didn't do that. And the fact is that they build the best barns in the country. And it's a barn that will last over 100 years. And I had to put the picture on the back end because about this time last year, I discovered this property, as it were, in a book in Holmes County, Ohio. And uh, you'll see the names of Christian and Jacob Schlebach moved here in 1826. Christian Schlebach is my fourth great-grandfather who immigrated. They immigrated from, from Germany first to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania with the Amish and then to Holmes County. And so you see these buildings, you see these barns. These were built by my by Amish ancestors. And uh, the barn on the right that's kind of dark, you know, that, that barn's almost 200 years old, built the same way that they build them today. And uh, you say, well, it looks like there's more than one house there. Sometimes the houses are attached and sometimes they're separate, but one of them is called the Dowdy House. Uh, that's the grandfather's house. Uh, the grandfather never totally retires but in semi-retirement, he and his wife, they live in the, the Dowdy house. And so there's generations living together. You know, and one of the reasons I wanted to show this is because this, this brings up the point that, you know, Jesus is not new to how he builds his church. You know, Jesus is building his church the exact same way for the last 2,000 years. It hasn't changed. The goals, the methods, the materials have changed somewhat. But uh, now that's changed. The objective of making disciples ha has not changed. The, the function that Jesus builds, the function of the church, you know, each one of us as a living stone is part of the church that Jesus builds. And that brings us to verse 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The sixth verse. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. There are varieties of gifts in the same spirit, it is the Holy Spirit who gives the gifts. There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. 
the Lord Jesus Christ determines the sphere of what we live, and there are also varieties of effects. The word effects is the Greek word energema. We get the word energy from it. We could say there are varieties of energizings, varieties of energizing. It refers to the degree of power by which the gift is manifested. In other words, every exercise of a spiritual gift does not produce the same result every time. It's up to God the Father, his energy, his power, what he wants to do. It's God's choice. And this is really framed. The results are all up to God. We talked about that in Sunday school today. When we share our testimony and, and want to lead somebody to Jesus Christ, we leave the, result, the results are up to God. It's the results of how much our spiritual gift, the results are up to God. They're energized spiritually. You know, and in the same way that God gives no commands for which he does not also give the power to obey, he does not give a spiritual gift for which he does not also give the power to use. And so what is, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to be faithful in service in the area which God has called us to serve. The rest is up to God. It's up to God. The same message can be given in several different circumstances, and each one is going to produce a different result. Billy Graham did not see the same result in every crusade. And I learned when I preached on Sunday at two different services, we had two services on a Sunday morning, that each audience was different. And it's interesting, the early service, to me, seemed more lively. That may be because I'm more dead in the morning, but they, they, they seemed more alive. And they also seemed to laugh more easily. So when I'd tell a humorous story, they, they, they would laugh. And it was a little embarrassing in the second service when I would pause at a certain point thinking everybody's going to laugh because they did in the first service. And I just stood there looking stupid, <laughs> waiting for everybody to laugh. It doesn't mean that because they didn't react the same that the Holy Spirit was not working. It just meant that his energizings were different for a different group. God does what he wants to do in people's lives, and God is endlessly creative in how he, how he does that. And then one more thing, one more verse, verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The manifestation of the Spirit re reiterates what Paul has emphasized in the previous three verses. They are all given by their manifestations of the divine trinity. The gifts are given by the same Spirit. The ministries are assigned by the same Lord. And the effects are energized by the same God. Now, manifestation has the basic idea of making known, become manifest, becoming clear, becoming evident. This is what spiritual gifts do. They make the Holy Spirit known. They make him clear and evident in the church and to the world. How do you know that God is at work in our church? How does the world know that the Holy Spirit is at work in our church and in our lives? Because we use our spiritual gifts in serving one another for the common good. For the common good. 